I'm Lindsay, mom of two active boys on the West Coast and believe there's no reason for money to be ugly. I love helping busy moms make it pretty without using cash envelopes or coupons. And I'm Megan. Me and my husband, we have four kiddos and I relate more to the dad role than the mom. And I'm an HGTV loving, oversharing finance nerd. Together we host the Money Stuff with Moms podcast. We understand the hashtag mom life but we also can appreciate the big picture adulting responsibilities like money. In this podcast, we invite you to be a part of our no fluff, fun conversations that will give you helpful on the go finance tips. Even if it's just a peek behind the curtains to hear about what we are doing with our money. Today, I had some questions for Megan. So if you don't know, uh, Megan is a certified financial planner who works with real estate investors. And I don't know about you guys, when I'm talking to friends, um, whether or not it's, you know, a close friend or a client or somebody at the soccer field or a girlfriend over wine, uh, it seems like so often people are talking about real estate in some form or another. It's such a hot topic. Um, it's one of our favorite asset classes in Canada. Um, and I think that there's, you know, some, some really uh, important things that Megan knows that would be so valuable for you to know if you're somebody who is interested in, uh, looking at real estate in your investment portfolio, uh, you know, sometime in the short term or our long term future. So I don't know, I just thought we'd chat with Megan and get some get some tips. Are you? Uh, are you up for that, Megan? Yeah, I'm game. I think that's a great, great idea, especially in the environment that we're in in the climate for today, um, yeah. where it's a little bit more difficult, expensive, and a little bit more volatility in that in that uh, investment class. And mm -hmm. I'm going to date myself here probably, but one of the most, what's the word, like not historic, but if I think back, as far as I can think back of what, where my interest started in it, wow. it's, I remember being, I don't know how old I was, but the show I was watching on TV was called Trading Spaces. Do you yeah. <laughs> and the host, name is Paige and yeah. I just thought it was so cool anybody um, else feeling like the warm fuzzy nostalgia right now <laughs> oh trading spaces so good like the episode where they like put moss or birch bark or something all over the wall and glued it on and the people who came in they just hated it most of the time they liked it but it was still like the, some of the weirdest things I loved that concept of going into somebody else's space and kind of sprinkling your personality and what you like and even like testing your own kind of boundaries on what you want to try out. So I feel like now that I'm an adult, I want to be, um, I want to have fun with it. It's like this real life meets Pinterest, but it's also like not in my own space. It's like for somebody else, which I just love that idea. We all want to be Paige. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> I want to be page two. Like, I don't actually want to do the things anymore. I just want to like watch the process happen. That's my earliest memory of having an interest in real estate, but it's not my own space kind of mentality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 
I have a background in investments. I've been, I graduated with a degree in finance and economics. I have my certified financial planning. I worked at an investment broker. And when I was, when my one of the first, I don't think it was the very first, might've been the second project I ever did was on my own financial plan. So that was one of the first assignments I had at the brokerage was to kind of design something for me and my own family. And honestly, with my goals and where I was at, I couldn't figure out a way financially to get to where I wanted to be without having some sort of investment strategy where there was a recurring income that I wasn't actually the, the engine. And so that's when I first realized that real estate was likely going to give me that component that mm -hmm. I was missing. It, it could, there's lots of other ways to get recurring income. Yeah. I just felt like real estate was a low hanging fruit for me at that point. And so I went to the partners and I was telling them about the project I was working on for my own financial plan and how I was thinking about getting my first rental property. And they all told me that I was crazy. This I'm is just about to ask. Yeah. They were all like, no, you need to focus on this was when TFSAs were new. So you like TFSAs are the bees knees. You know, you have to start implementing that right now, max it out. And then whatever's left, you need to put over. And did stuff. they, what kind of, like, were they mutual fund guys? Was it like put a bunch yeah. of mutual funds into your TFSA? That's how you get wealthy? Um, well, I don't know. Like they, I was MFDA, which means um, mutual funds. We did yeah. transition later to IROC, which meant stocks and bonds as well as mutual yeah. funds and ETFs. But um, they just felt like savings in the market. So paper assets, things like mutual funds, yeah, ETFs and all those things are just so much more predictable and safe. Right. And real estate just opens a can of worms. They kept saying like, what if, you know, the toilets break in the middle of the night and blah, blah, blah. All those things that, you know, Uncle Joe always says to you totally. when you talk about real estate. And I was like, but I just can't get to where I need to go in the timeline I want to get there without another piece yeah and I think real estate might be it and they um they just didn't feel the same way and when I went ahead and bought the rental anyway <laughs> I, I yeah. felt like I didn't have anyone to ask when I had questions so I feel like I come with this <laughs> like mentality where now I just want to share everything I've learned along the way so that you don't have to because I didn't have someone like that yeah well I mean the the financial planning industry not to you know not to slag them at all you and I both work in that industry but um they are traditionally very product focused and why are they product focused those are the bricks they have to build the house with <laughs> um they got to build your house, you know, your financial house with something and the tools and the, the supplies they have are stocks and bonds and mutual funds and ATFs. Yeah. So that's where all of their, like, that's their, their bias, right? That's where all of their training, their planning software, their income, not that commissions and fees are a bad thing. That's just how it's designed. So to talk to a typical financial advisor, financial planner about real estate that is outside of their 
toolkit is difficult. They don't necessarily get it or understand or, um, yeah, I think that having somebody like you makes such a big difference for those who are looking at having real estate in their portfolio. Right. And I think, so now that I am, you know, I bought my first property, I think in 2012, 2013, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. So I'm like a decade into it now. Yeah. Um, now in hindsight, what I would, what I say to my clients, what I say to people who want to talk to me about it is why do you want to own the, what's the goal? So like you want to buy your first rental, why? Mm-hmm. because if it's to quit your nine to five, that's a really um, long-term strategy for a short-term goal. Right. And yeah. when we're trying to solve short-term goals, we really need to find uh, short-term strategies or a series, a long-term strategy that has a series of stepping stones. Right. And so, uh, I mean, and there may, there may be ways where you can leave your nine to five yeah. with rentals. I'm not the person to walk you through that because I haven't seen it done in practice. Right. So when people market themselves that they've left their nine to five, typically they're doing something else in the real estate space, whether it be coaching, more right. lending, they become real estate agents themselves there is some other revenue producing activity that they're engaged in. So they more often than than not, they went from a T4 employee. So like a nine to five worker to self-employment. They didn't stop working altogether. Yeah. 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 They just shifted industries. Right. And so, um, and like my, the rental that I got, the first one, I always earmarked that one as my uh, snowbird house. So okay. one of my goals when I was working on my financial plan, when I first started my career was I wanted to be able to retire at the same time as my husband. My husband's a teacher, so he has a pension and benefits and all those things. I wanted to be able to retire the same time as him. And I wanted us to be able to go away. And so like probably from like January to maybe May or something, like a good chunk of time when it's the coldest here in Northern Ontario where I live. Property, we bought it in 2012, I think. So if we we got a 25-year mortgage on it, the, the mortgage payments would end and the um, rent rental income would be enough for me to right. achieve yeah. my goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, since then, a lot of my goals have changed. Like that was, I'm a totally different human now. I have more kids than I had then. I also, um, I don't know if retirement is something that I'm real, is one of my goals really. Like now that I'm self-employed and I'm able to, you know, just make up my own services and work with the people that I want to work with, I don't know if I care too, too much. Right. Yeah. I mean, in 10 years, I, my story may change. I definitely still want to go away, but like I'm doing that even now, like <clears throat> I'm going away for ch- large chunks of time to get away from the snow now, almost like little mini sabbaticals. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. still bringing my computer though. 
you know, like I'm still doing a little bit of work because I like it. So that's my first question I ask is you want a rental, but why do you want a rental? Like, it's not going to give you financial independence. The other thing that I always say is if your financial framework is shaky already and you think a rental is going to fix it, I promise you it will not. Um, It's almost like saying having a baby is going to fix your marriage if your marriage is shaky. Yeah. The only thing a rental is going to add is stress in the short term because there's a lot of, um, it's a transitionary time when you acquire um, a building, when you have to foster new relationships with tenants. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the other thing is that the tenant situation is they are your clients Mm -hmm. and if you're not in it to provide safe comfortable housing a roof over somebody's head Mm -hmm. then I have I have no interest in in helping you acquire properties because that's not the world that I want to live in it's not the the landlord I want my children dealing with when they potentially go away for school. I don't think the world should be without landlords because if you want to stay at an Airbnb or you want to go try a new job in a new city and you don't want the commitment of buying a house or you don't have the resources to be able to do that, we do need places to rent. Sure do. Yeah. Um, But if you, at the end of the day, owning real estate is a people business And if that's not top of mind and you're more inclined to hoard building, it's just not for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You you can push stop on this podcast right now and, (laughs) and go to the the real estate bros who advocate that and shout it from the rooftops, talk about their 800 units and millions of dollars in real estate they have. Um, Cause that's, I don't think that's what makes, I I'm always looking for a win-win and the world is a better place when everybody's winning. And I think that there's more than enough for everybody. Um, and so at the end of the day, you have to ask, do you have, what's the goal of the property? What's your capacity to be able to provide for that property? And are you there for the right intentions? Yeah. You know, it's, with real estate, like you say, there's, it's transitional, it's, um, you know, at, at different times and, <clears throat> and it's a people business, like those people can leave and you're looking for a new tenant, like at the worst time in your life, you don't get to plan that yeah. <laughs> they come and go as they please because it is their home. Um, and they have, you know, their, their own life and making sure that, yeah, you have the capacity not just financially if something breaks, um, but also the the time and energy uh, to deal with whatever might come your way, right? Do yeah. you recommend, you know, when somebody is looking at that, do you recommend that they have like a certain amount of, you know, buffer either in terms of savings before entering entering that next phase um, of acquiring a, a property and getting tenants or um, or a certain amount of cash flow from your uh, from your rental mm-hmm. income. Mm-hmm. So I always like to recommend that the rental make money. 
Okay. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> like it'd be profitable. Start. Yes. So the first place to start is on the assessment of the actual property. Mm -hmm. um, let's say that we have two properties we're looking at. One makes $50,000, but has $49,000 of expenses. One makes only $30,000 a year, but only has $10,000 of annual expenses. You have to look at both components, both the income and the expense side so that you can see how much cash flow, how much profit does this generate or not. Right. It's not just on the rental potential, it's also on the expense responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so getting really good at coming in with those assessments, knowing what numbers to ask about to your agent. Um, there's a couple rules of thumb. The and everybody I talk to from large urban centers tell me these rules don't make sense to them. They will never work where they are. And that's likely because a rental will not be, excuse me, will not be profitable where you are. Right. It's like, I always compare <clears throat> it. Like you can, if you need groceries, you can go to Canadian tire. There will, there, there's food there, right. but it's not groceries. So like if you want to go to Vancouver and look for rental properties, there's condos and houses for sale there, but they're not going to make you money. Right. Okay. So first let's get straight with the oh. assessment. The other thing that I recommend doing is for the next few months, pay off your credit card balance every single week. So every week, make sure your credit card balance is nothing. If you can't commit to looking at your credit card and paying it off every week, you can't commit to managing a rental property. Because even if you get the rental property and you hire out a team to help you that with that, hiring out the team, finding the talent, finding the professional takes so much work. You do it once and then it's done, but it, nothing is adjust. So just doing it once can literally take you months and thousands of gray hairs. Okay. So those two things, getting good at the property. Um, oh, I was going to talk about the rule of thumb. So the two rules of thumb are one is called the 1% rule. So the 1% rule, you look at your purchase price. So let's say it's $500,000 is what the house you could get it for. If you can make $5,000 a month, which is 1% of the purchase price, that property will likely cash flow. Okay. If the rent is less than 5,000, it likely won't cash flow. It doesn't mean it's a bad deal. It's just a metric for success. It trigger if you, you should dive deeper and ask more questions and even go look at the property. Right. The next rule of thumb is called the 50% rule. And this is where you put your trading spaces hat on. You go into maybe the ugliest apartment you've ever been in or some house that just really was not maintained. You go in with that mindset and you say, okay, if I just do this, move this around, paint here, fix this up a little bit, I can get, let's say... I'll use the same numbers, $5,000 a month for these two units or one unit or whatever it is. I get $5,000 a month. Okay, so you take 50% of that number. So now we're at 2,500. Mm -hmm. 
if your mortgage payment is more than $2,500, it likely will not cash flow. Not to say it won't, just to give you the filter to should you go look at it, should you even make an offer. The nice thing about the 50% rule is that it gives you flexibility in the offer price, how much down payment you should be putting down. It's more based on the rental potential. Okay, so those are the two rules. So we make sure the property makes sense. We um, do it for the right reasons. And we make sure that if our tenant can't pay rent or we do not have a tenant, that we can subsidize the full cost of that property for three months with our own financial resources. So whether that's saying, we're just gonna put a pause on TFSAs, RSPs, whatever, maybe accelerated debt payments, because all of that's gonna get shifted for the next month while we find a tenant or while our tenant forgets to pay us rent, okay? So mm -hmm. it's making sure that your own personal financial framework can handle the capacity if things start going sideways on that property. That was a really long-winded answer. No, I think that's- I have a lot to say about it. <laughs> I think it's good, um, you know, because it, it takes in the, like, the mindset as well as some of the, the numbers, right? Um, which are really important for both people to they're both sides to be looked at. I think that, you know, when it comes to tenancy, like, I don't know what it's like where you all live, but here, like, there's no such thing as vacancy. Um, you know, if, there, if there's a rental, you're getting 50 or 100 applications. Um, but things are cyclical. Like, the pendulum swings. And I can remember when we had a rental, um, it's sitting empty because I could not get anybody to apply for it. Um, just because the tenancy situations are where they're at right now, doesn't mean they will always be that way. Um, doesn't mean they won't either, but right. everything like what it, what is constant. The only thing that is constant is change. Things are always changing. And, and so I think it's important to note too, that vacancy doesn't just mean that nobody's living in your unit. Vacancy could very well mean someone's living in your unit, but not paying you rent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. like you mentioned, you don't know where, you know, you're living or thinking about buying uh, real estate. But here in Ontario, it is very difficult to negotiate with your tenants and get them to do the things that you both agreed to do. Yes. And the turnaround time right now to talk to somebody to get some help if your tenants won't pay you is eight months. Right. That's very yeah. difficult. Yeah. 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 And I, so if you if you bought your first rental to get you out of a stressful situation and then that happens to you, that sounds very stressful. Very stressful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know a lot of people who have uh rentals and it was like easy money the last few years um and now their variable rate mortgage is going up and that cash flow that they once had every month um is nearly gone or totally gone or like 
way far gone all, already in the last couple of months. So um, making sure that you have have that buffer and a plan that you know you're not going into this with rose colored glasses. That it's going to be easy and passive uh, with um, yeah with, without any risk. Um, and I mean just to comment on on the rules of of thumb. Um, you know, I can absolutely see how people in the bigger centers would have that immediate knee-jerk reaction to the 1%. Um, because here, I mean, thinking about a 500, I'm in Victoria, and thinking about a $500,000 mortgage, um, I don't think you could get a two-bedroom condo. I think you I think you would probably only be able to get a one-bedroom condo uh, for 500000 I might be wrong. I don't look at condo uh, prices all that much. Um, but if I'm right, you know, getting more than $5,000 for a one bedroom condo um, doesn't necessarily put you in that awesome landlord uh, category of, you know, create offering a, a great space for somebody to live their life. Right. Um, and uh, but I maybe that I would love actually to do a, an episode. Maybe we'll talk about this for the future on um you know, whether or not people should be investing outside of their hometown. Because um, there's lots of investment opportunities out there. And like you say, there's uh, there's food at Canadian Tire, but is that where you would buy your groceries? Um, there's real estate in Victoria and Vancouver and Toronto, you know, the big centers, but is it where you would want to uh, to, to buy your real estate? So I yeah. know, we, we can talk about that. We can do a whole episode on that, but I will give one little soundbite for when you are thinking about trying something new, I really like to be a beginner at one thing at a time. So if you don't have a lot of experience in managing humans or owning real estate, maybe it's best to do it where you're an area that you know, like the back of your hand. Right. And so yeah. That doesn't have to be where you currently are because you could be from somewhere else and maybe you buy something there or maybe you summered somewhere right. when you were growing up, you know that place really well. Um, but I think being a beginner at one thing at a time can really lessen the impact when things may get stressful. Yeah, good point. I like that little uh, rule of only being a beginner at one thing at a time. I think that's And really I think important. too, it's really like once you start talking about trying something new, like maybe real estate is new to you, you just start talking about it to other people. That's when other people will be like, hey, I tried that or I did this or you should talk to my cousin. He, he does something similar to that so that you can kind of learn from other people who are five steps ahead of you. Like I just had a call with somebody. It was about something totally different, not real estate related whatsoever but he was saying to me he's from Ontario he lives in um, BC now and he was saying you know I've been kind of thinking maybe of buying a condo renting it out like just having something whatever and I was saying to him if having a rental property is something I was in a situation where I couldn't tell him what I did for a living. Okay. Like I was like a conflict of interest. So I was like, just an FYI, if you're thinking about doing a condo, one thing to really keep in mind is that they don't typically cash flow super great because you have no control of the condo fees or the HOAs and they can be super, super steep. Yeah. 
And so you could buy, if especially if you, if you're assuming, which sounds speculative, but if you're assuming appreciation, I get where you're going, but you also have to be comfortable with potentially subsidizing that property out of your own pocket. Because it's likely if someone can afford the condo rent that you are are going to need to charge, it's likely that they can probably afford to buy their own condo. Yeah. Right. And, it, and the main reason is that condo fee. Right. Yeah. Some of them are steep. Super steep. And yeah. they can increase quickly. Yeah. Like there, I have some clients who own properties um, all over Canada, but one of them is in um, Alberta and they had a double digit condo fee um, increase in 2023. Easy. Yeah. And so that in conjunction with interest rates, yeah, um, that property is really dependent on the owners to subsidize it. It is, it does not cash flow. Sure. Mm -hmm. If you were talking to somebody um, who is just thinking about getting started, um, is there anything else that you would suggest for, on top of what you you've mentioned, you know, which are think about why you want to do this? Mm -hmm. What is your capacity? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and ensuring that you have uh, the capability of, of uh, um, you know, subsidizing. Is there anything else, any, uh, any steps that you would suggest that somebody take before moving forward with this idea? Yeah, that's actually the very first, that, that in its own little compartment mm -hmm. is the very first step I would recommend. Okay, so we put into the one main step is talking to other people, creating your own personal foundation. Your own personal foundation is really just identifying your goals, making sure you know your capacity. What is your net worth right now? How does that change? Let's say going a little bit forward, not a huge step forward, but maybe like three years if you keep doing what you're doing. Um, knowing how much cash flow you have coming in and out of your own personal. So like just setting up your foundation. Then you need to create the plan. So the first step is create your foundation. Where are you now? Where are you going? You have to, next step would be step number two, create the plan. Step number three, implement the plan. And okay. all along those three steps, it is such a huge value add to have people in your sandbox who are five steps ahead of you. Yeah. yeah. Who know what they're who who have been through what you're going through and can share. If I were to do this again, I would do this differently. And like take it with a grain of salt because like you also need to learn your own mistakes. It's kind of like raising your kids. Like you know, you know, um don't like I'm dealing with teenagers right now where it's like, okay, well, don't let your cell phone die because if you, you know, I'm trying to like teach them, but sometimes they need to go through the pain of being at their friend's house without their charging cord and their thing dies because they forgot to charge it or they forgot to bring their cord. Yeah. Absolutely. Like sometimes experience is the best way to learn. Having people by your side saying, I see these red flags that you maybe yeah. otherwise wouldn't have seen. So that's what I recommend. Just start talking about it. 
start setting up your foundation? Why do you even want it? Would you want you as a landlord? Like, good question. Because there's so many other ways to produce recurring income. This does. This isn't the only way. There's just a lot of people shouting about it in social media. You know, that have platforms. This is the sexy way right I mean it it all looks so easy from the outside uh, and uh, not to poo-poo it I mean it has generated a lot of wealth in our country um, and uh, yeah it's not it's not like it's all bad or anything but there are other ways and I think that it's no different than any other type of investing realizing your goals, your time horizon, and your risk tolerance um, is exactly the, what you're talking about in this, you know, in, in these first steps. Um, you know, when, when markets go down, like they did, you know, in, in 2022, investors start getting worried about what is going on in their accounts and should they pull their money out. And I'm always reminding them, like, if you invested based on all the proper principles of time horizon and your your objective and your risk tolerance, then this is just a piece along the way. So it doesn't matter what you're investing in, identifying those pieces in that foundational step um, is important. And during that process, maybe that's where you find out whether or not real estate is for you, or if, you know, a uh, mutual fund or an ETF might be a, a better solution or, you know, fill in the blank. There's lots of different, there's lots of different options out there. So hopefully that was helpful for those of you who are starting to think about real estate investing or have thought about it in the past and gotten stuck. Um, of course, if anybody wants to chat with Megan, our uh, our inbox is open for you. So shoot through a message. You can find all of our contact information in the show notes and uh, let us know what your thoughts are, what your experience is and what your questions are. We use those questions for um, for episode uh, ideas. Um, and sometimes we use that question for the episode itself. So uh, maybe your question will get featured on a future episode. All right, Megan, we'll talk to you later. Okay, till next time. Thanks for spending your time with us today. If you heard anything that piqued your interest, check out the show notes because we probably have some extra deets or links down there. Your homework for today. Go talk to someone about your money either your spouse, your kids, your coworker, or a licensed professional. And if you don't like those humans today, we're always talking in Lindsay's Facebook group, Black is the New Red. So join us over there. Head over to Facebook, type in Black is the New Red. You'll see so many amazing like-minded individuals in there trying to get better, asking the right questions, supporting one another. We look forward to hanging out with you again on your next dog walk or while you watch soccer practice from the sidelines. Cheers!